Press. Uh, I'd like to call to order the Shoreline Planning Commission regular meeting for August 3rd. Ms. Hoxma, you call, roll, call to roll call. Roll call. Commissioner Brinson. Here. Commissioner Callahan. Here. Commissioner Galuska. Present. Commissioner Mosier. Vice Chair Wamashonje. Uh, present. Thank you. Commissioner Lynn and, Commis and Chair Sager are absent with notice. Thank you. Okay. Third item on the agenda is approval of the agenda. Okay. Approval of the minutes from July 20th, 2023. Any changes? Uh, general comment, general public comment. Any person registered for public comment? Sorry. Yes, we do. We have um, a couple on um, in attendance, but first of all, let's go to our in-person uh, commenter, Jim Cole. And if um, you could come up to the podium here and give us your name and city of residence. And you have three minutes. And, and if you are um, affiliated with a city recognized group, then you will have five minutes. Thank you. Well, good evening, everybody. This is my first time here at the Shoreline Planning Commission. And first of all, you have a lovely building. I've been here now a couple, two, three times. And so it's grand, all the design. Well, Tonight's agenda, um, I was thinking of speaking after I heard some of the comments of, of tonight, but, um, is all about real estate in a sense, and planning and the middle, the middle way, so to speak, for housing for the folks. So um, I'm a realtor here in Seattle with Home Realty over 130th, just off of Aurora. So I see, and our company sees every day, uh, really a dirge of not available properties or could be properties that are not available here in your market. And you have just a great area here in short in shoreline. So I was speaking earlier with Andrew, he invited me in, it was very nice. So we have 14 uh, neighborhoods I believe you have here. And so I see firsthand all the possibilities that can come with the right kind of planning and design and as Andrew brought up regulation. So that's what part of your your uh, your agenda here and going forward, as well as then those developers or those homeowners then can come in and make their plans. It's, um, as we all know, things are getting more expensive, uh, from groceries to gas all the way up to housing. So if there is a sort of a middle way to do this, it would allow adus and dadus to come in into the marketplace to allow those families or those individuals or, or the downsizing of older people to come in and be, be welcomed into the community but be able to live. So I've seen that a little bit in Seattle over the years and a little bit in Shoreline. But the great opportunity in Shoreline, I feel, is, is the geography that you have. Uh, Seattle has the seven hills. Actually, they probably have more hills than that, but you know they have a, a limitation they can put on themselves and you know, be more marketable. 
But you guys have a tremendous advantage geographically here that you can make things work pretty nicely. So it's just, uh, and you're getting on board on this, and you're doing it quickly and very thoroughly, competently, obviously. And the regulations will, will set that for us. So my always belief, and I'll conclude, is that in Seattle, we always felt that Shoreline was, and I mentioned to Andrew, was sort of on the cutting edge of all kinds of things happening here. So um, jealousy, of course, is always alive and well, you know, one of the deadly sins. And so it was in Seattle. So Seattle began then to take that note that what you folks were doing up here, and over the years began to make those adjustments and add do's and dad do's. So um, it's just a lot of potential. But the end game is just for people to be able to live. That's what we want to do. And you just have a wonderful community here. So hope it can, can go forward. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here as well. All right, and next I will um, go to Catherine Wybridge. Catherine, you are unmuted. All right, can you hear me? Yes. Great. Hi. I'm sorry if you hear kids in the background. Um, <laughs> I Please state your name and your city of residence. Thank you. My name is Catherine Wybridge. Uh, I currently live in Shoreline, Washington. Um, we're over by Hamlin Park, uh, which is a great area to live. There's a lot of schools and there's multiple parks within walking distance. Uh, today, I spoke with a builder who, other than being zoned, are four, are six. Um, the other half of our lot would be size large enough to have a three bedroom, three bath house. But because there's already an existing house on it, we can't, and our lot is just under size for subdividing. We can't do that. And in fact, we are now living in a house that is almost completely a duplex. There is a wall that goes from the front door to the back of the house, divides the house in two. The house has two kitchens, two baths, four bedrooms. So we could fit three homes on here. I'm being told to stop talking. Um, uh, if we had the opportunity to subdivide, we would be able to build a home and have more access to, we would be looking at very interested in, but we can't do that right now. Um, the other thing I've kind of heard about is most of the plans I've heard for middle housing, they seem to be they would have to be developers. It couldn't be homeowners who would benefit from them because most of the homes in the area are ranch style and they take up enough of their lot that the only way they could add is to go up or they would have to destroy their entire home to put up smaller attached homes. 
So it wouldn't really benefit the people who are living there now unless they were able to go upward. Um, but sometimes, like our lot, you get lucky and there's enough of a yard. If you could subdivide, it would fit. But I'm not really sure what the solution is for people whose houses are long and wide, but are looking to take advantage of these changes. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is um, deed and plat restrictions. I was wondering if you were going to talk about as part of your plan, making it easier to remove deed and uh, plat restrictions that basically enforce single family homes only in the area. Um, and those were the points I wanted to bring up. Okay, thank you so much. Now, um, next speaker is Kathleen Russell. Ms. Russell, you are unmuted. <clears throat> Kathleen Russell, resident of Shoreline on behalf of Safe Shoreline Trees. Good evening, commissioners. As the city announced on July 24th, there will be a comprehensive review of the tree code in 2025. This comprehensive review of the entire tree code should not preclude or eliminate the discussion of the tree code during discussions and decisions pertaining to middle housing. In the middle housing bill HB 1110, the state legislature confirmed that certain regulations will remain under individual municipal codes, one being tree regulations as pertaining to middle housing. However, in the discussion questions presented to the Planning Commission this evening, page seven of the study report, discussion question two, the theme of environment is not included as one of the main themes. We ask that this theme, the environment and how middle housing will encompass the natural environment be included as a primary theme. In support of this request, as included in Attachment A, Appendix C, Land Use Policy 5, the, dis the discussion should be how to keep tree canopy in lower density districts and how to increase and build tree canopy in medium and greater density zones. Environmental issues are consequential to housing decisions as we will continue to experience impacts of climate and heat islands in the Northwest. In attachment B, public engagement summary, at several focus meetings, citizens included their concerns and favor of trees and open spaces. We ask you to include the environment, the tree canopy, and the middle housing tree code in your middle housing discussions. Thank you. Thank you. That is, all the, that is all for the senior. Okay, item six, study items. The comprehensive plan middle housing. See, great. Got a presentation here, let's get it called up. All right. Good evening, commissioners. 
My name is Elise Kime, Senior Planner with the City of Shoreline. City staff have been evaluating policy amendments to allow middle housing in low density residential zones. And I'm here tonight with an update and a request for feedback and additional guidance if commission has any to share. Oh, gotta find where my mouse went. So tonight, uh, for anyone listening at home who may not be familiar, we are talking about middle housing. This is a term used for those housing forms in the middle of the housing spectrum, somewhere between uh, detached single family homes and large apartment buildings. These forms of housing can include things like duplexes and triplexes and cottages and townhomes and many other forms of housing. Uh, middle housing buildings are just buildings that are house scale that happen to have multiple dwelling units in them. The work completed to date on middle housing was funded by a grant from the Department of Commerce. This included an existing conditions report, a, uh, which examined demographics, some housing trends, current regulations, and uh, current comprehensive plan policies. It also included public outreach to increase the community's familiarity with middle housing and learn about the community's priorities for housing, and also included a racial equity analysis. The racial equity analysis I'm not going to talk about tonight. We're gonna to be focusing on the first items as that analysis, the racial equity analysis, is about housing generally, not sort of zoomed in on middle housing specifically. So staff will be coming back for another study session to talk about that more in depth. So the existing conditions report uh, this examined demographics and housing data in Shoreline. And in Shoreline, there are largely three forms of housing available. These include single family detached, which is the most common form of housing. And this really isn't surprising as most of the city is zoned for single family detached development. Um, uh, additionally, Shoreline provides single family attached being townhomes as a more recent form of development, as well as multifamily or apartment buildings. Shoreline really doesn't provide many options for middle housing to its residents. Uh, we do have some uh, townhomes, as I mentioned, those are more recent builds, some duplexes and triplexes from the 70s and 80s, and a couple of cottage housing developments that were constructed in the early 2000s, but not much besides those. So although most of the housing stock is single family detached in Shoreline, we see that the household sizes in Shoreline are actually pretty small. Household size meaning the number of people living in a dwelling unit. Uh, most homes in Shoreline are occupied by one to two people. And interestingly, of those single person households, 45% of them are people age 65 or older. The existing conditions report also examined the regulatory environment for residential development in Shoreline. Uh, this took a look at regulations, fees, procedures, and incentives. All of them were uh, analyzed. Um, first up, development regulations. A number of them will need to change in order to enable middle housing off the bat. Things like permitted uses, taking a look at density, parking, those kinds of things will uh, likely need to be updated. Fees and procedures are pretty well suited uh, to enable middle housing. 
However, impact fees particularly may prove to be challenging as impact fees in Shoreline are per unit based uh, rather than square footage or proximity to transit or stuff like that. So there's a number of ways to um, assess impact fees, but a per unit base can be challenging to middle housing. Uh, and the incentives available in Shoreline for development is typically fall into the camps of green building, affordability, and proximity to transit. And the current incentive packages available are either not available in low density residential zones or are really more geared towards large apartment buildings and not really anything to speak to middle housing. So if we wanted to look at incentives, they might need to be reworked uh, for middle housing. So in the midst of all of this analysis that was going on, the state legislature made several changes to uh, state housing law. One of these includes House Bill 1110, also known as the Middle Housing Bill. And uh, what this bill means is that middle housing is coming to Shoreline. Uh, Shoreline will allow at least two units per residential lot throughout the city and four units per residential lot if that lot is near transit or if the development includes at least one affordable unit. The House bill uh, lays out nine different forms of middle housing of which cities need to permit at least six forms. But before we go making changes to regulations and fees and procedures uh, in order to be compliant with this bill, uh, we need to start with the comprehensive plan. The comprehensive plan is the guiding document which all development regulations need to be consistent with. So laying a supportive policy foundation is going to be an important first step before we get into development regulations and then ultimately start seeing more middle housing being built in Shoreline. Now, an important component of drafting a comprehensive plan policy is the public engagement. To date, public engagement on middle housing has included work with community-based organizations, convening focus groups, a virtual public meeting, and tabling at various community events. Of these tactics, working with community-based organizations proved extremely valuable as they were able to distribute through their own networks of communication any information that we had, helped recruit people to attend focus groups and get the word out about the public meeting. So as we continue our work on the comprehensive plan update, we are looking forward to continuing to partner with these community-based organizations. Some themes that came out of the public engagement that we've done so far have been affordability, and this was a theme that was important both to homeowners as well as renters. Both are feeling the squeeze of increases in housing prices, land prices, and associated taxes. Um, for middle housing, there is uh, generally a support for more choices rather than fewer for middle housing. So when uh, staff was last here in front of commission and asking, well, with this new house bill, what forms of middle housing should we be looking at? we heard, just look at all of them. <laughs> and we heard that also when we uh, held the virtual public meeting, uh, people specifically calling out, we need more housing choices, not fewer. So go ahead and look at all of them. Uh, and as well during public engagement, we also heard some concerns and discomfort around the growth that's been happening so far. Uh, things like concerns around construction impacts, the scale of development that's been coming into some neighborhoods, 
uh, as well as concerns about things like loss of tree canopy and loss of parking. Uh, from the public engagement summary, I did want to pull out a couple of things that uh, were of interest. Um, people were very supportive of what I'm calling infill development. Uh, this is development that keeps the existing home and then allows uh, maybe some additional units to be on site. This could be through conversion of an existing home. Maybe a single family home can turn into a duplex or uh, maybe additional units on the lot if it's well situated that you could get additional units. Uh, people really saw this as a more sustainable form of development because you're not tearing down a perfectly good home <laughs> in order to build new homes. It's, you, can, you can keep what's already there and then just add to it. And people also felt that this would have um, a less, uh, less of a displacement impact as the residents who were um, in the units would not necessarily be displaced for any additional uh, development on site. We also heard uh, during public engagement um, that people are really feeling there is an uneven uh, distribution of impacts uh, in development. During the um, one of the focus groups, uh, people highlighted really Highway 99 as sort of the dividing line for impacts. If you're on or east of 99, a lot of the uh, more intense development impacts are being felt in that side of the community versus if you are west of 99. Additional uh, feedback that we heard is people were very supportive of forms of middle housing that preserved open spaces, allowed retention of tree canopies, supported biodiversity, uh, so these would be things like cottage housing or courtyard apartments where you've got like uh, natural natural spaces on on site. People had a lot of um, positive feelings to, towards those forms of middle housing. And uh, one thing I wanted to call out since it was in the um, in the public engagement summary, um, we did uh, talk about the racial equity analysis in during public engagement and people did acknowledge a history of both displacement and exclusion, as well as racially disparate impacts in housing. And we're gonna dive deeper into that when uh, staff comes back to talk about the racial equity analysis report. So it was part of public engagement, um, but we're gonna dive more on middle housing tonight. So before we jump into policy analysis, which is kind of the meat of what we're talking about tonight, I wanted to go over defining a couple of terms. In the context of a comprehensive plan, what is a goal? Uh, comprehensive plans are made up of goals and policies, so they are specific terms in, that are very, <laughs> very specific to a comprehensive plan and mean different things in different contexts. So a comprehensive plan goal is a statement of desired outcomes of the community. These are typically pretty broadly written, but they should be specific enough so you can tell whether or not you're making any progress towards achieving the goal. And a policy is a statement of a, an operational action that the city will take in order to achieve that goal. So often you will have a goal with several policies that move you towards achievement. All right, so we got the definitions out of the way. Um, so part of the work uh, completed to date included an analysis of current comprehensive plan goals and policies. Existing policies in both the land use and housing chapters of the current comprehensive plan were reviewed for their support of middle housing. Policies were graded and deemed either supportive or approaching or challenging to middle housing. So the question, 
how supportive is the current comprehensive plan to middle housing? Well, the analysis showed mixed results for support of middle housing. Uh, we do have in our current plan some existing goals, like here um, is a housing goal number two to encourage uh, development of an appropriate mix of housing choices. But then we also have land use policies like land use policy one uh, that places strict density limits on development. So having support for diverse housing choices, but also placing strict density limits on approximately 80% of the zoned land in the city isn't providing for much housing choice at all. And we see its effects today with um, the housing, uh, the makeup of housing choices in the city being primarily single family detached with some townhomes and some apartment buildings. And uh, I just wanted to point, point out that this, um, in light of House Bill 1110, that this language will need to be updated uh, as uh, a sort of an obvious one as we're going through uh, the analysis of the current uh, comprehensive plan. So after the analysis of existing goals and policies was created, uh, we've made a first attempt at drafting some goals and policies that are supportive of middle housing. That was sort of the, the lens that we were looking through, was what can we do to make them supportive of middle housing? So this included both revisions to existing goals and policies and a pro some proposed new goals or policies. And we tried to be mindful of previous commission direction as well as feedback that we heard during public engagement as we were um, making these initial attempts at revision. So we're not gonna go through all of them. I think the report had something like 39, so just a few. <laughs> uh, as an example, these are revisions to the goals and policies that we just saw a few slides ago. So housing goal number two now includes language with a focus on affordability and land use policy number one no longer includes that strict density limit and allows for diverse forms of housing. So these are just some examples. Uh, a few others, um, they, uh, this first one policy, uh, revised policy, housing policy number eight, it calls out affordability, including specific income brackets saying extremely low, very low, low and moderate income groups. This language is pulled specifically from the Growth Management Act, which was recently updated. Cities need to plan for and accommodate housing at these different income bands. Uh, some additional example policies that we see here include a policy about public education on the term of middle housing, as again, it's not frequently seen in Shoreline. A lot of people have a lot of confusion around the term. We want to make sure people know what we're talking about. Um, and then uh, as well, a, a policy uh, about encouraging form-based regulations for residential development, which is something we had talked about at one of our previous study sessions. So the policies that were on the slides previous, these are all some good representative examples of some themes that we started to pick up on as we were drafting the policies. Themes include a wide variety of housing choices. This is something supported both by commission as well as community feedback. A focus on affordability of housing. This was something that we 
heard very, uh, very adamantly during public engagement. Uh, people are, have a lot of concerns around housing affordability. Uh, to focus regulations on building form rather than building use. This is something we talked about previously at a study session. Um, to if a, if a building is roughly the same size, if it holds one unit or three units, um, oh, does it does it really matter if the if the overall size of the building is um, is the same? And then the theme of continuous community involvement. Uh, as we're developing these regulations, we want to make sure we're educating and also bringing the community along with us, really listening to what they have to say so that we can ensure whatever middle housing regulations look like ultimately, they work for the residents of Shoreline. That's the ultimate goal. So middle housing is part of the comprehensive plan update. The work done to date was specifically funded by a grant. Uh, that grant has come to an end, but the work does continue. Uh, it's really well positioned Shoreline for compliance with the middle housing bill and really jump-started our efforts to update our comprehensive plan. So the work done so far, specifically for the policy analysis, has been about what revisions could we make to encourage middle housing, but we haven't gone through um, additional review as policy creation is a really an iterative process. We need to look at it through multiple lenses. So uh, the city has identified a couple of lenses that we want to utilize for the comprehensive plan for all elements of the comprehensive plan including housing, equity and social justice, and climate. So that review hasn't been done yet, but it is on the list, uh, on the long, longer and longer to-do list um, to confirm that we are aligning with uh, these three lenses uh, for the comprehensive plan, as well as confirming that we're aligning with county, region, and state requirements for, um, for creating a comprehensive plan. So before, we move into staff's discussion questions and questions we have for you. I wanted to pause and see if Commissioner had any questions for staff. Okay. Okay, no question. All right. So we just had three discussion questions for you tonight, but they were a little wordy, so I put them on different slides. So this first one, I'm interested in Commission's description of the overall goal for middle housing in Shoreline. And again, a goal in the context of a comprehensive plan is the desired future state for middle housing in Shoreline. I'm leaving it open-ended because it could go in a bunch of different directions, but that was on purpose. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think, I mean, I wrote a sentence. I think for me, like, not just housing was the challenge, is the topic. Like, I think one of the public engagement comments was they were a little worried that we're only talking about housing as part of the housing, which I mean is a little bit weird. But I think the idea of it is, like, really we're trying to create vibrant communities and things that, in addition to, you know, promoting people at different stages of life and incomes for their housing, we're also trying to find ways to fund keep business districts afloat or improve them, but also fund our schools and our parks and things like that. So it's kind of a more cohesive thing about creating a community that's almost like self-supporting in some ways. Uh, 
Commissioner Branson. I have a not well-formed thought. <laughs> You're ready. Um, I think when I've been thinking about middle housing, I think about sort of from a policy perspective, often we talk about inserting it into families, single family zones, mm -hmm. as opposed to creating sort of, I'm air quoting this for people who might be listening, new communities, right? Sort of new, new ways. And in doing that, often we see regulations that are at cross purposes with each other. My latest example is, I know the gentleman in the audience mentioned the Seattle um, Adu Dadu legislation, but that because of minimum lot size restrictions, that legislation actually requires a condominium arrangement for the, you can build three attached, a primary and an attached and a detached on one lot, but you can't subdivide currently. Because you can't subdivide, a developers are building these and then forming a condo so they can be sold because that's how that works within that sort of financial modeling. And I think that that is a brilliant way to go about it and also the development regulations actually created that very strange way that it's landed on the ground. And so when we're thinking about it, I want to think about doing it in a way that creates community and creates, you know, sort of a compatible, compatible forms, but also facilitates that new vision um, instead of restricting the new vision based on our current state. Thank you. Um, so when I think about the goal, I think of affordable and desirable housing. And I think from the public engagement, how that the affordability piece came out so strongly, and we all know this to be true. I mean, this is the biggest problem. And so for me, I, I think, you know, the, the goal, that's the goal. But again, how do you operationalize this? Um, and as Commissioner Brinson pointed out, how do you do this in such a way that preserves that neighborhood and you know doesn't have any unintended consequences? I think those, to me, are the the big um, the big goals here. Okay, Commissioner Galuska. just hope is uh, a, a goal for the comprehensive plan would be not to just take our existing low density zones and just change the uses allowed but actually look at changing the zoning map to allow higher densities uh, you know where it's where it's appropriate and, and kind of scale down the density as you go away from from arterials and, and centers and things like that because um, I know the approach in some places is we're just going to take our single family zoning, leave it in place, but just allow duplexes and allow um, more ADUs and things like that. But I, I think we should really be proactive in saying, where does it make sense to have the, the highest density of these uh, middle housing uses um, and, you know, a, a, along the you know, transportation corridors and things like that and try to, you know, maximize the density rather than just with painting with a really broad brush. All right, excellent. So the next question is about the themes that staff have identified so far. And this is just with the work done to date. Um, 
We are intending to use these themes to help guide some further refinement of these middle housing goals and policies, understanding that they'll probably look different than what, what we've seen in the, in the staff report uh, to date. Um, but those themes that we have identified so far, increasing variety, focusing on affordability, regulating the form or the scale over the use, and uh, ensuring community involvement. Those were really the things that we started to pull out. The question to commission is, are any themes missing? And should anything be added or removed? So um, I think these are really good. Uh, the regulate form overuse, is that the same type of idea that I think we're all talking about with um, just trying to be more deliberate about where things are allowed? Or is that something different? Because I'm in support of what Commissioner Galuska is talking about. Um, I think what Commissioner Brinson is also saying. And so does that theme capture what we're trying to talk about? <laughs> well, let's dive into it to make sure that we are talking about the same thing. So uh, when staff is referring to uh, like a form-based type of regulation, this is about the size of the building. So this is the height, the width, the depth, that kind of stuff. What's the building envelope? How the space is programmed is really left up to whoever's doing the building or whoever's doing the occupying of the space. Uh, so if that building is of a certain size and it has um, some commercial tenants, great. If that building is of a certain size and it's um, a number of dwelling units, also great. And that's what it means is that we're trying to move away from specifically regulating the use and saying, well, here you can have a this type of house but not that type of house and is that really helpful or can it just be well if the building is of this size is everyone okay with it and so that's what that's what staff's saying when we're talking about form over use um but i think i heard something a little bit different from commissioners galuska and brinson do you want to speak more yeah I think I think yes, but I think what I, what I heard Commissioner Galuska say um, was also creating sort of areas where we might see higher intensity middle housing and lower intensity middle housing mixed with single family. So instead of just blanketing all R4 and R6s into something that allows duplexes, mm -hmm. because if you're really thinking about a building envelope, you can really only shove so, I mean, you could probably shove more dwelling units into, but like, how many can you really put in there? Mm -hmm. So if we're really thinking about the full spectrum and not just small and high and sort of apartment buildings, we need, we might need new zones where we're creating this higher level, this medium Middle intensity. I'm okay. coming up with a new thing. Commissioner Galuska, did I rephrase what you were thinking? Yeah, I mean, the, the idea is that I think there are some areas inside our low density zones that could be kind of more of a moderate zone, especially when we're looking at, you know, sub areas around the, the transit centers and uh, 
you know, you could, one example would be like 185th that's kind of been upzoned along that corridor and you're starting to see um, some relatively uh, urban scale development coming in, redeveloping some of the single family there. But, you know, we should step from behind that, there should be something a little bit denser behind it, and then it could kind of fade out back into kind of a lower density, you know, behind it. So I, I don't, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather just be thinking about that and thinking about where we can go higher rather than just saying, we're going to take, take the low density zone and just increase it 10%, you know, and, and, and see how it goes. I'd just like to see be a little more deliberate than that. Sorry. From a development finance perspective, certain forms would be more feasible in certain areas than others. And mm -hmm. so you're going to see a drive towards those that are the most financially feasible in certain areas. Mm -hmm. So different zones might help nudge each zone in one way or another. If, so if I could ask a clarifying question. Um, so I think it was the last time middle housing was before the commission, we, I think we kind of unpacked the idea in a little more detail um, of form-based codes and kind of what that could look like. And so what I'm hearing is an interest of, of maybe exploring ways to look at different intensities of the form-based code. And so um, still not necessarily regulating by the number of units in the building per se, but maybe there's a like a moderate uh, moderate intensity of form, lack of a better word, but um, and then maybe lower intensity forms that might be more compatible with like the lowest density residential areas, and then maybe on um, areas that are maybe closer to services or transit, that's where you would have more moderate intense forms that would be conducive to um, a higher number of units, maybe more building height, more building mass versus um, lower density. I'm trying to not use the word density, but <laughs> I can't, can't stop myself. Is that kind of similar train of thought where you, this is, Okay. You just said middle in about six different ways, which is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, commissioner. I think sort of transition, a bit of a transition. Sorry, sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. Commissioner. No, I'll speak last. Oh, I just wanted to add that um, there was a um, commenter submitted um, an email, um, Paul Malmston, um, about um, wanting more low-impact commercial uses in existing low- and medium-density residential zones. And I think what, what this person is talking about is the same thing. What we're talking about is, is um, trying to have those areas where we know there might be more um, opportunity for, like, the work-life, you know, style of housing or things like that. And actually, that's funny. The first one on my list, we're all on the same page. I was going back even to what Commissioner Glusko was saying, is that rather than looking at the zoning map, it's basically just ignoring it for a moment and like actually looking at where all of like the business centers are and like treating those as like your village hub. And you kind of have this thing that starts radiating it out rather than even not transit, like you're actually intentionally. I had written down community creation, not remembering it as community involvement, but very different is like actually creating little villages and neighborhoods that are the center, that you're kind of segregating that around. Because a lot of them, 
and I apologize, I am thinking of West of 99, so it's not fair, um, do also have schools associated with them. Like, I guess Ridgecrest is East of 99 and the highway. Like, there's an elementary school just down the road, or in Four Corners, it's just around the corner, and you could really encapsulate all of that in there, and then use some of those arterials even as, like, light commercial to that gentleman's point. Like, there's a lot of, like, in Finney, they opened a little cidery in a garage, where there's, like, little old coffee shops that are just, like, a little thing, but it, you know, it kind of brings the schools into it, and it might help with it just being aligned up to the schools. But you kind of expand that, because a lot of the commercial developments are big and built out already, too, and so they're kind of hard to break into, especially if you think of coffee shops. Most of them, like Starbucks, have lease prohibitions from all businesses of the same model opening within the center. Mm. So there's kind of, and it's a competitive thing, so we expand our pool a little bit. That could be a really interesting exercise for us to do sort of as a workshop if we identify those, again, not looking at the zoning, like let's ignore those colors, but we'll say what sort of amenities or business districts or things like that are around and if we had sort of a reimagining um, And I had actually exercise. written down parks on there as well, thinking okay. of our conversation from with the parks consultant where he was talking about a lot of the neighboring jurisdictions not potentially investing in more parks. Mm -hmm. And so there's kind of a park tourism so to speak, okay. of people from outside coming in that, and so like if you had businesses that would kind of encourage like picnicking and other kind of things, not just sure. Okay, I, I have, I, I'm really in agreement with what I'm hearing, uh, so that's why I didn't make a, a comment earlier. My question for us, I know I'm jumping probably the gun here, is when we do all that, how do we prevent displacement? In other words, you make a form and you call it this form, we can describe it whichever way we want, but how do we make those forms such that displacement, they don't generate the unintended consequence? Because I think that's one of the themes that uh, I heard the public speak about when I joined on the t at the table on, in the park. They talked about displacement. Uh, we, of course, some people talked about the division. They didn't use 99. The person I talked to didn't use 99 as the dividing line, but used 15th Northeast mm -hmm. as yeah Northeast as the dividing line. Uh, so they live on the other side of 15th and felt this side of 15th Northeast gets all the good things and when you go towards the water, oh shoot, that's even, you know. But how do we do it? And I liked when we said, okay, forget about the colors for now. But then how do we also think of displacement while we think of the forms? What kind, are there forms that can actually generate this, this uh, displacement? And if that's the case, can we avoid those? So. I think this is where the intersection of affordability and displacement are really important. And and so I think, you know, there are anti-displacement tools, but usually they're financial tools, not zoning tools, right? So, you know, how do we increase benefits to our residents through, you know, utility benefit, utility discounts, or property, you know, connecting them with the existing property tax exemptions, those sort of things. And so often that can just be a communications Effort. I'm not saying that that solves all problems because the thing that I worry most about when we start talking about focusing on affordability is 
true affordability comes with additional public dollars that are invested and making sure that we're doing what we need to do to, to sort of attract those dollars to the city. Um, it's really hard. I mean, I, I love that we are now all planning for extremely low and very low and all the other, and you know, sort of the full scale of incomes. But in order to build for extremely low income families and people, you need a lot of public subsidy. Um, there is no cross subsidization model that works in that in that realm. So I think that's where the sort of nonprofit piece and bringing those stakeholders in to make sure that we're not adversely impacting their sort of competitiveness and for public dollars, and also thinking about how we do more to attract, you know, the sort of community land trust model and others. Those are kind of what I'm I'm thinking about because I think displacement has to come with some sort of additional public investment. And I don't know where that comes from. Okay, any, yeah. And this could be in your next question on guidance. I don't know where it is. Like throughout the comments in, or in the report, the character, down, sorry. And like they keep referencing like your unique character and the scale and charm. And I, I mean, no offense to Charlotte, like I feel like the only defining characteristic for me as only a five-year resident is it's really trees. Like outside of that, like our residential has a varying style. So I think it would actually be good within a goal to like define what we think the character is irrespective of like house size even, because things are gonna change. And if you look at the model of single story homes, frankly, even a code compliant new single family home is technically out of character with that. And we have, like, one of them is like the way they had written the code, I'm sorry, the sentence um, no, I'm sorry, I can't find it. Protect and connect residential neighborhoods so they retain identity and character. But I feel like that sentence can be taken in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And if we look at how cottage housing was removed in the past, it was because it was incongruous with a character. But there's not actually a defined character, so it's very subjective. And it worries me a little bit. So absent to which I think would actually support people's like of trees too, if, you, if that's a characteristic, like that yeah. bakes that in there better than kind of a flowy top you know, sentence that doesn't. Right, yeah, we can definitely drill down on that term. What does that, what does that mean? Because I think it covers a, a number of different ideas. It's an imprecise word. And I, another word I haven't heard yet, and I think is important in the word character, is inclusive, right? That it's the character isn't just about, and this is what Commissioner Mosher was saying, that it's not just about sort of the form, the, the architectural form, it's about the spirit of community and inclusion. And I think we could get a lot further in that conversation in focusing on the values of community um, than on the, you know, pitch of a roof. Mm. No offense to the architects. Commissioner, how I? Well, I, I feel like this is very much related to everything we've been talking about. And going back to um, Commissioner Galuska, you mentioned this a while back. I think it was when we had our meeting with city council, but really trying to figure out like what are those identities for the neighborhood and um, and to be able to um, have that be part of 
the vision really is that, yeah, we're trying to create these neighborhoods that really feel like neighborhoods, unique neighborhoods, um, that you know you're in a different neighborhood as you travel through the city. Commissioner Gluska, you have a comment? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would kind of re restate my opinion that when we're talking about character, I, I don't think you could have a citywide character for Shoreline. I just think geographically there's different neighborhoods and we sh it would, I think it would be good to focus on what those neighborhoods are and kind of give each neighborhood a unique identity. Otherwise, you're just going to, I mean, if you try to try to, to use the same character over the entire city, you don't really end up with a neighborhood character because just geographically it's too large and you don't have, you won't have any distinction between those different areas. Um, so like, if you think just like the, the two new train stations, if each neighborhood around the train station has a different identity and has slightly different architectural standards and, you know, even though the kind of density and uses would be the same, you would be able to get off the, at the station look around without having to look at a sign and tell where you were at. I think that, that should be our goal with every neighborhood is that if you were blindfolded and stepped out in any neighborhood, you'd be able to tell where you are just by your surroundings. You know, that's not easy, but I think you could start with the comprehensive plan of defining that those characters. I guess when I refer to it, I'm actually anti-architectural guidelines for creating character either. The uses and people and businesses create the character. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm when I was saying characters, more like the theme, there are themes that come up amongst, I'm thinking that if you not the center hub, if you populate it out to what truly is still going to be mostly housing, like even now, if you ask people absent the size of the house, there's a lot of open space in the trees that are the defining character of what housing would look like regardless of what form the housing is. Mm -hmm. and I, I feel like that's probably, the tree in open space is prevalent between you know, the city limits, if not further down into Seattle, down into the 120s at least. Okay, back to you. All right, thank you. So the last sort of a catch-all, <laughs> um, there's anything, any other guidance uh, that you would like to provide staff as we continue refining these goals and policies on middle housing? Um, I think two, two things they are kind of related. One is I think when I talk to people, at least offhand when they hear this topic, they actually think we're banning single family homes. Mm -hmm. and I think it's important to remind people we're not banning them, but we're trying to add to them. Um, which is not related to that, I do think it, we should probably, it's come up in comments a lot, I actually think we should be more encouraging, supportive, and especially as we do examples going forward of conversions and infill housing. Um, one, that'll retrain trees, which everybody likes, but also right now our dem demographics are one way, but if everything gets torn down from a strictly development perspective, we will have potentially an imbalance at some point of we need more four bedroom homes and we only have, you know, single family or little single room mm -hmm. occupancy kind of things. So I think if we encourage that, I'm aware there's a cost to it, but that might also help with some of the more literal character, you know, retention. 
Okay. Um, the one thing that really stood out to me was the impact fees. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I feel like, oh my gosh, how, how quickly can we change that? Because that seems like a big problem um, to um, disincentivizing more units. Um, so that was just my one sort of like, wow, that um, I think that's really important to tackle very soon. <laughs> and I don't think impact fees are, the, I mean, on, on the utility side, there are also per unit charges. So I think that that's another space as that as the utility feasibility study mm-hmm. plays out, another space to look. Yep, absolutely. So just time-wise, uh, I think this is a really good topic. I think we kind of assign ourselves very little time, but um, are there more things that you would like from us? Uh, I think that was really useful for right now. Um, as we're talking about the comprehensive plan, we're going to have a lot of goals and policies coming your way, which are very nitty gritty. <laughs> and um, we're having internal discussions about how best to navigate that so that we don't have like three, four, five hour meetings. Um, so we're, we're still thinking about that internally. If you have ideas, we're totally open to them. Okay. <laughs> well, I just wanted to add, I, I loved what you did with how you laid out that um, the policy, the quadrant, um, you know, okay. doing that type of thing. I think that's super helpful and how you, um, you know, came up with the labels and, and did the rationale. I think that's a very good way to organize this information. Okay. That's good to hear. If that changes or gets unwieldy, quite open to feedback. <laughs> that was really it on middle housing. Um, we will be coming back again because it was grant funded to talk about the racial equity analysis. Um, hopefully end of September. I think that was our that was our goal. It's just a large report and trying to get it presentable and digestible working through that. So and I forgot that. When in the in their study they went through the different focus groups and there was one about young adults in particular and they said that there was something amok with with the group. I one are we at all worried that we're missing something? And is there just because that's a that seems like a big demographic to have like missing and also like ha- what went wrong to where like the group didn't materialize. Oh, it was very it was very that. loose in there. Sure, absolutely. It, so curiosity was being. Um, we definitely need to change our approach to to reach um, younger adults and renters especially. So we're brainstorming how to do that um, to to reach out and in a way that we get meaningful um, impact because that's something that we haven't been able to successfully capture so far. Um, so open to ideas, but we're, we're looking around and essentially what happened is we think the people who attended were not at all related to Shoreline. Uh, we're just, just uh, heard about a, a focus group and thought they could get um, compensated and were interested in being there but not actually participating. Uh, so 
that's another way that we want to change how we advertise um, and why we're, I think, especially looking to rely on more um, relational outreach and working through trusted partners and community-based organizations so that we know there's like a person on <laughs> on the other end of the survey or whatever that, um, who actually has some connection to Shoreline. So that's what that was, a really important lesson learned. Um, and I think, yeah, going more, we're calling it more like high touch than high tech uh, so that we're getting more interpersonal interactions than just um, sort of anonymous people in a Zoom call. Okay, thank you very much. Absolutely, thank you. Okay, do we have any unfinished business? Okay. New business, uh, Andrew? Yeah, um, so let's see, reminder that September 7th, we're looking at the, uh, the annual Planning Commission retreat. So that'd be a 5.30 start time um, I sent an email out to the commission with some of the topic ideas that staff have brainstormed. Um, so if anyone has any additional topics for consideration, we can talk about those quickly now, um, or you can send those to me. But those, uh, the ones that we've identified to cover in the retreat would be uh, just an overview of the work plan for the rest of this year and looking ahead into next year. Uh, the idea of neighborhood sub-area planning, and again, that came up this evening, um, and something that we can incorporate and build into the comprehensive plan update, but uh, we can discuss that and kind of unpack that idea in a little more detail on how we can incorporate that into future work that we'll be bringing your way. Um, the idea of youth planning commissioners, again, this was sort of related to hitting that um, that young adult segment of the population. This is an idea that's been on uh, a parking lot of topics for a couple of years now, or maybe a little over a year. So we can talk about that um, if there's interest amongst the commissioners of, um, you know, what what would that look like about recruiting um, a couple of commissioner positions specifically focused on youth. And then also a general check-in and just discussion of how things are going, how we're presenting information, and if there's things we can do better, any general feedback or anything like that. So um, if, you know, we can, I think that of those four items, that's probably a pretty full agenda. If there's anything you think should, you just don't want to talk about or we can table for future time, we can do that. If you have something else that's maybe a more timely or you'd rather speak to, uh, we'll probably be, or, or at least it's looking so far, uh, similar format to last year. We'll meet here at City Hall um, upstairs in a conference room over dinner and just sort of treat it as a working dinner and then um, hopefully adjourn at a reasonable hour and then we can have some time to meet somewhere else and just have some kind of social time. Thank you, Mr. Bauer. Um, new business, we finished that. Uh, reports from commissions. 
Okay, Mr. Bauer, the yeah, agenda just, for the next meeting. Yeah, I just had one quick announcement also, um, another email I sent out. So, and just a general reminder, so on August 19th is the Celebrate Shoreline. That's a Saturday. Um, it's the city's kind of main uh, summer festival. So um, just a great opportunity to um, get out and, and um, and visit with the community and we'll be uh, at the city booth so that's another tabling opportunity that will uh, the, the staff will be out there talking about mental housing talking about what we'll be doing with the comprehensive plan update if anyone has interest of volunteering even just for an hour or so uh, and, and uh, visiting with community members as they might have questions and things and wanting to share about what you all are working on, you can let me know. Um, we won't throw you out there uh, unprepared, or at least we'll try not to. So, um, but yeah, we'll be out there. So even if you guys are at the festival, drop by and say hi. Thank you. I, I'm just going to uh, say that uh, when I did it, I really enjoyed it. And you could tell. Um, and uh, why the public comes in and they ask questions uh, they want to know your position. They want to give their uh, ideas. It's really a chance to see if uh, we are communicating effectively, or if we are actually doing a we are, if we are doing the service that we are meant to do. If we are actually serving the public, it gives you that gauge. Um, the things I'm doing are they really? Am I really in the right? Am, am I? Are we going in the right direction, or are we out of pace? You know. So I, I got that feeling, and it, it was a really nice feeling. We had all kinds of people that showed up, uh, some kids and some adults, some uh, um, my age, maybe a little bit older. So yeah, so I just want to say if you have time, it's fun. Uh, and, and then you get to wear your commissioner name tag. So now they really, really know who you are, OK? So, so if you can, that would be really good. I, I think I'll volunteer. I'll, I'll get in touch with you and find some more time to do that. Thanks. Okay, uh, adjourn. Nope. Gentlemen. Uh, next meeting is. Oh yeah, sorry. So uh, the next meeting, uh, staff would recommend that the commission cancel the August seventeenth meeting. Um, and then our next meeting would be the uh, the retreat on September 7th. Okay. For it? Yeah. All right. Okay. Thank you. Meet, meeting adjourned. <laughs>